Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Good morning. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When Liz and I lived in Arizona, we had a steady stream of visitors, um, and most of them came uh, about this time of the year, right? <laughs> Northerners would flee the uh, sub-zero temperatures for some much-needed warmth, warmth and sunshine, and we really can't complain about this last week, though. It's been 25 degrees, which is 50 degrees warmer than it was <laughs> last week, right? It feels almost balmy. But one of our, our favorite things to do in Arizona when uh, visitors came down was to take them out hiking in the desert. We had our, our favorite trails uh, and a few rules for hikers, or a few rules for the desert. Number one, of course, bring water, right? You don't want to be out in the desert without water. That's a given. Bring water. And then the second rule we had for hikers uh, was this. Everything in Arizona is pokey. <laughs> yes, cactuses, right? But, but everything, even, even like bushes and shrubs, could be, be prickly and pokey. And as you were hiking, you always had to be aware of your surroundings. Uh, you had to distance yourself from the ever-present prickly pear cactuses, the ever-present uh, giant saguaros there, and the barrel cactuses up there, right? They're sharp spines. One of the, uh, one of the worst offenders is this guy here off on the left. He's, uh, he's called the teddy bear choya. Uh, kind of looks cuddly, <laughs> but uh, almost beautiful too, especially in, in the full moonlight. He almost glows a, a beautiful um, blue-green and is just gorgeous to hike by. But you wanted to keep your, uh, you wanted to keep your distance from him because uh, that's a close-up of the thorns that were on those. Each, each one of those thorns have hundreds of little fish-hook-like barbs that would stick in your skin and would just dig deeper and deeper if you, if you rubbed up to them. You always had to be aware of your surroundings and even in times of, of trouble and panic. One of, our, one of our parish builders was hiking up uh, the Flatiron Mountain with us and the Flatiron, I should have had a picture of it for you, but it's a, it's a pretty steep hill. I think it raises 2,500 feet in uh, three quarters of a mile and we were doing one of our midnight hikes um, when he lost his footing and fell forward. He used his hand to catch himself, but unfortunately grabbed the hold of a cactus on the way down. And uh, he, was, uh, he was pulling out sharp thorns about two inches long, even a month later. He'd just be sitting there and just, oh, look at that one, and just pull it out. And oh, I still get cringes when I think of that, right? <laughs> Life is full of thorns. They're not just limited to the desert, but we all encounter thorns in life, hard times, prickly situations. Maybe it's a certain illness that you've been battling for years. Maybe it's a job situation that just doesn't seem to get any better. Maybe it's a broken relationship that you just can't seem to mend. But yet, as we'll find out in today's sermon text, God's grace is all sufficient, even in the thorny patches. 
If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're nearing the end of 2 Corinthians, which, as you will recall, is Paul's personal letter to a wounded congregation. And I invite you to stand with me as I read verses 1 through 10 here. And Brian, if you want to help uh, forward the screen there as we get to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, reading in Jesus' name. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I do thank you for this, your word. Thank you for Paul and his faith, and thank you for what you have done through him and bringing this to us, Father. But most importantly, thank you for your grace. It is enough. It is sufficient for our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There are some familiar verses, some familiar concepts in this passages, aren't there? But before again we talk about the thorns or about the grace of God, we need, as, as Paul did, to talk about the reason behind those thorns. And it's this, the Lord gave Paul a vision. The Lord gave Paul a vision. Look again at verse 1. Paul says this. He says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. If you've been counting, this is at least the third time in the last few chapters of 2 Corinthians that Paul talked about boasting. Paul wasn't boasting in his own strength or his own might, quite the opposite. Paul was boasting in the Lord. He wasn't boasting in his pride, uh, just boasting in the Lord. For example, in chapter 10, verse 17, he said, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then in chapter 11, verse 30, in the surrounding verses uh, that Pastor Lloyd led us through last week, Paul says this, If I must boast, I will boast about the things that show my weakness. That verse, of course, followed his very lengthy discussion of all of his hardships and sufferings for the sake of Jesus, being an apostle. And he returns for at least the third time here uh, for a discussion about boasting. And again, Paul boasts in something that the Lord had given to him, a vision. But notice how, how he talked about this vision and especially how he talked about himself. In verse 2, he says, 
I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, and then he goes on to describe briefly this vision. He says, I know a man. That's Paul's way of staying humble. He talks about himself in the third person. Humility is rare in 2020, isn't it? Politicians, athletes, entrepreneurs, coworkers, politicians. They all, we all seem to be in short supply of humility. Nobody wants to be seen as humble because humility is often seen as weakness. Uh, and, and being weak might mean a, a dip in dollars or, or revenue. Humility is hard, isn't it? And I think one of the hardest questions at, at job interviews is, is always this one, what are your greatest weaknesses, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, how long do you want me to sit here, right? <laughs> but the corporate world, world wants you to take that question and turn it around into a positive, right? Well, my greatest weakness is that I work too hard and I often lose track of time, right? Or uh, I'm so much of a team player that I, that I get so busy helping others that I don't do my part of the project, right? Those aren't weaknesses. That's not being humble. That's the exact opposite of that. <laughs> True humility is, is, t- is taking an honest look at yourself and your own weaknesses. True humility doesn't get arrogant or, or boastful even when asked to enumerate your weaknesses. And it must have been a, a pretty wonderful vision that Paul had seen. He tells the Corinthians that in this vision, he was caught up to the third heaven. And now in, in, in the Jewish mindset of Paul's day, the term heaven was used to describe three separate spheres in, in different locations. First, uh, first, the term heaven referred to the sky, the atmosphere that's all around us, right? The, all throughout scripture, the birds are, are described as flying through the heavens. Uh, for example, in, in the creation account in Genesis chapter 2, we're told that out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, right? The first heaven was the, is the sky surrounding us. And then the second heaven in the Jewish mindset was what we've come to call outer space, right? The moon, the comets, the stars, the, the planets, all of those things. David said in Psalm 8, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have made, what is man that you are mindful of him, right? The heavens are the Lord God's handiwork. And then there's the, the third heaven. The third heaven is what Paul talked about in these verses. The third heaven is what we think about when we hear the word heaven and that picture that goes through our minds. The third heaven is the eternal abode of God. It's paradise. It's eternity. And in Paul's vision, he's caught up to that third heaven. And while there, he sees amazing, magnificent things. He tells us in verse 4 that he heard things that cannot be told which man cannot utter. So unfortunately, we can only speculate as to what Paul saw. Maybe it was something uh, like we read together this morning, something like Isaiah's vision of the Lord sitting on his throne and the foundations of the threshold shaking at the voices of, of the angels who are praising God. Or maybe it was uh, similar to, to John's revelation uh, of paradise recorded for us in the book of Revelation. We sang that today as well, the Revelation song, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and the 24 elders casting down their golden crowns before the Lord. But whatever the Lord showed Paul in, in his vision 
of the third heaven, of, of, of paradise, we'll never know, again, because Paul doesn't tell us. But it was significant and magnificent enough for the Lord to allow Paul to have a thorn in the flesh. Look at these verses again, verses 7 and 8. Paul says, So, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. We'll talk about what that thorn was and the pleading that Paul did to remove it in just a bit, but I think it's significant that Paul tells us why the Lord allowed Paul to have this thorn in the first place. Did you catch it? He said, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. The Lord allowed Paul to receive this thorn in the flesh to reduce Paul's motives or his uh, potential, I'm sorry, for bragging and for arrogance. Maybe the Lord thought Paul was a a big insufferable brat already and decided uh, this would just make him all that much more arrogant (laughs) or more likely. I think the Lord knows humanity well enough Well enough to know that we don't need any additional help bragging or boasting, do we? The Lord knew that this thorn in the flesh would be just enough of a check that it would curb Paul's pride. So what was this thorn that the Lord allowed Paul to have? Can we we diagnose this thorn? Theologians have, have proposed numerous theories on what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Was it a specific set of temptations that he constantly battled? Was it the hardships and difficulties that he suffered for the sake of Christ and the gospel? Was it something physical? Again, scholars and theologians over the years have all tried their hand at uncovering what Paul's thorn in the flesh might have been. Maybe it was poor vision or chronic migraines or malaria or ear trouble, arthritis, leprosy, some sort of personality disorder, melancholy, depression, epilepsy. Some believe Paul had a, had a severe physical deformity that sent people running from him. My personal uh, favorite diagnosis is the one here that a cartoonist drew up a few years ago. <laughs> There's Paul sitting in jail, and who's next to him? <laughs> SpongeBob, right? Hey, Paul, what you doing, Paul? Writing a letter, Paul? <laughs> and then Paul's sitting there writing, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. <laughs> Three times I pleaded with the Lord, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, we can't come to a definitive conclusion as to what exactly Paul's thorn in the flesh was. But Scripture does leave us with some clues of all of these maladies that I mentioned earlier, SpongeBob not included. (laughs) The one that seems most likely is some sort of eye issue. Uh, This is brought to light, for example, by Paul as he writes to the church in Galatia. Uh, he had went to Galatia, founded the church there, encouraging them to continue in the faith that they had at the beginning um, because false preachers had come in and preaching a different gospel that wasn't really a gospel at all and the Galatians had bought that hook, line, and sinker. And so Paul writes to them uh, saying this, telling them to return to the faith that they had at first. He says in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Jesus Christ. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. 
From these verses, it almost sounds like Paul was struggling with some eye problems, with some vision problems. Maybe they were so severe that they left him nearly blind or, or completely blind. But whatever, whatever the diagnosis was, whatever malady Paul had, whatever his thorn in the flesh was, Paul pleaded three times to the Lord that it would lead or that it would leave. And I don't think Paul's three times of pleading were limited to one day during his prayers at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I think his three times of prayer were deep, intimate, intentional, personal times of focused prayer and maybe fasting. Maybe even Paul had had the elders of the church or his fellow apostles anoint him with oil in Jesus' name and pray for the removal of this thorn in his flesh. Paul was persistent in his prayers. He pleaded with the Lord, and yet it seemed that the Lord was silent to his petitions. Have you ever felt that way? That God hasn't yet or maybe won't ever answer your prayers? Your prayers become like David's in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Maybe it's a prayer that you've been praying for yourself. Or maybe you've been interceding on behalf of a loved one or a close friend. Some of the people on our weekly prayer lists have been there a long time, haven't they? And the requests can take many different forms. Cancer, terminal illness, ongoing financial struggles, estranged relationships, constant struggles against a particular set of temptations. And we pray that God would hear and would intervene. And we know, we know intellectually anyway that God does indeed hear our prayers, right? Call to me, he told Jeremiah. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And Jesus himself said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so we call out to the Lord God in, in Jesus' name and we ask him to do things on our behalf and we follow the commands of Scripture to be anointed with oil and prayed for by the elders of the, elders of the church and yet there's silence. God doesn't seem to care. God doesn't seem to hear. And if you've ever been there, you've probably had some well-meaning Christian tell you something along these lines. Well, you just need to have more faith. You just need to have more faith so that God can heal you, so that God can bless you, so that God can fix that broken relationship. Just have more faith. doesn't quite work like that, does it? Faith isn't something that we can conjure up within ourselves when we need it. Faith is God's gift to us. It is the, the oxygen that we are constantly breathing, constantly relying on. Faith sustains us through the, even the hardest of times. If, if simply having more faith would, would open the door for God's healing and blessing, then the Apostle Paul must have, must have had the floodgates wide open. Paul, right, had seen firsthand the resurrected Lord on the way to Damascus. He had witnessed and done many miracles in Jesus' name. And Paul, by God's spirit and power, wrote inspired scripture, planted churches, commissioned pastors, and you don't do that sort of thing if you lack faith in Jesus. No, Paul had faith enough. But yet the Lord had remained silent. He hadn't remo- removed the thorn in Paul's flesh. Because it isn't the size of your faith that's important. 
Remember, Jesus told his disciples that if you had uh, the faith the size of a mustard seed, he told them all the amazing things that they could do. No, God didn't remove Paul's thorn in the flesh because God had something else in mind. If you've ever been in a situation when you've pleaded with the Lord and he's been silent or he's answered no, just know that you are not alone, right? Countless saints over the ages have felt the same as you have. And countless times God has given them the same promise that he gave to Paul, grace. The Lord gave Paul grace. Look at these verses again here that he, that he gives to Paul and he gives to us. Just the first part of verse 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. I love that verse. I love that, that word even, sufficient. <laughs> what does the Lord mean by that? Sufficient is kind of a, a strange word, isn't it? It's a positive word, but it also has some negative associations with it. If you are just sufficient at a task, you're just good enough, right? Not great, just good enough. And true confession, I was never a great student. In high school, I, I was grateful that C's get degrees. <laughs> Getting C's is sort of like being sufficient. <laughs> it's just good enough. It's not great. You could do better. It's just enough. It's adequate. But in the kingdom of God, we shouldn't think of, of sufficiency in that regard. In the kingdom of God, God's grace being sufficient for us means that his grace is enough. And nothing can be or should be added to it. It is enough. It fills us to the max. His grace is enough, and we are, as Paul was, content with that grace. It's as if the Lord is telling Paul, don't worry or be anxious about this. You need nothing more than my grace. And when we think of God's grace, we should first and foremost think of it in, in connection with his sending his son for us. Grace and truth, John wrote, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The grace of God has been given to us, has been given to you as Christ gave his life on the cross in exchange for your sins. On the cross, Jesus took all of your sin, all of your pride and your arrogance and you're, you're placing yourself above all and instead of God. Jesus took all of that sin upon himself and that sin became his own sin. With his life, with his death, he paid the penalty for our sins. And in his glorious resurrection three years later, he proved that he had defeated death. He had proved that he had conquered hell. He proved that he atoned for sins. And because of Jesus, all of God's blessing and all of God's grace and all of God's mercy come to you personally. That's God's grace. That should come to our minds first and foremost when the Lord tells us, my grace is sufficient for you. We should also think of his grace in connection with his promised presence with us in the struggles and trials of life, the ever-present thorns of life. Some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture are from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43, here the Lord comforts his troubled people with the promise of his presence through the thorns of life. He says, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, and you might as well just put your name in there. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And he goes on to say, You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I don't know what this week will bring for you or for myself even. I don't know what storms will weather, whether that's corporately or individually. I don't know what thorns will prick us this week. But I do know that whatever we go through, we cannot and we do not go it alone. The Lord goes with us, sustaining us, carrying us, comforting us with his presence. And he goes with us because he loves us. We are his children. We have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, his own son. His grace, his presence go with us through every thorny situation. His grace is sufficient. And Paul has one final thought regarding God's grace. The Lord graciously uses us in his kingdom because we are weak. Look at verses 9 and 10 again focusing on how God uses the weak. He says, but, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." In the corporate world, who accomplishes the most stuff? Who gets the most stuff done? It's the movers and the shakers, right? The, the type A personalities, those who don't take no for an answer, those who are full of ambition and, and dreams and, and visions, the, the go-getters, the Ivy League grads. Yet in the kingdom of God, who does God use to accomplish his tasks, his purposes? It's a bit different than those the world esteems. God uses those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He uses the meek and the humble. He uses the powerless and the lowly. You don't need to be awesome at everything for the Lord God to use you. He takes you thorns and all and he uses you for, your, for his glory and not for your own. Life is full of thorns, isn't it? Yet God's grace is sufficient for us for all times and all seasons. And when it seems like he is absent, don't give up on him. He is right there with you, carrying you through. He loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you. Never forget that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you go with us through every storm of life, through every hardship, every trial. Thank you for your presence in our lives and help us to be mindful of that this week. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.